Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, brought to you by Science Technologies. We interview outbound leaders at fast growth businesses to learn their secrets and bring you actionable insights. Thanks for joining us this week. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We're really excited today here with Brooke Bachesta, a former colleague of mine from Outreach. She is currently the XDR Enablement Manager. We're going to talk about exactly what that means in a little bit. And also the chair of the Gals and Sales Group. Some of you might already know about it. And if not, you should definitely check them out online. As you can guess, it's a, it's a women in sales and sales development group that's uh, just taken off since Brooke co-founded it. And just so excited to have you with us today, Brooke. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me for the nice intro. <laughs> Today, we're going to have a really fun conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, Brooke and I work together at Outreach pretty extensively. SDRs and AEs were, were hand in hand over at Outreach together. And uh, I'm sure I sent you plenty of whining, complaining Slack messages over the last, over the year and a half or so that we were together. But Brooke was fantastic. And, and what we really wanted to talk about today is what you've done is really not only build your own brand, but really carve out a whole category at Outreach. Uh, you moved from sales development management to really leading a major team of SDRs to now you're the sales developer or sales development enablement manager. I think it's called XDR enablement specifically. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and, and what that's like at Outreach? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess I should probably explain what XDR, like why we use that term. Uh, and it's truly just to be all encompassing. So at Outreach, we have two different uh, or groups. There's the outbound team, that's sales development reps. That's the majority of our team. That's probably like 95% of the team is out cold calling. Uh, they do get some leads from marketing, but they are largely in charge of feeding themselves when it comes to leads. And then our inbound team, we call them market development reps, much smaller group. Um, and they're working on all of these smaller accounts and anybody that calls in the 1-800 outreach or emails or requests a demo uh, in an unnamed account, and they're doing that super rapid fire. And so in order to support, you know, pay homage to all of the roles, we just say XDR enablement. So what I do, um, in addition to onboarding and training all of our new hires, I'm kind of viewing it as like a strategic project manager. So we have all these initiatives that we are tasked with at the beginning of the year. And it's my job to make sure that we do that and that we achieve those things at scale so that it's a lot less of like checking the box, like, okay, did I do this training? And uh, can I say that reps know how to like say this new part of the script? But it's working in tandem with all the other revenue enablement managers. So our CS folks, AE methodology, tools, and content, and making sure that we're like making huge moves as an organization, which I think is what's been really interesting for me because as a frontline sales manager, I was so in the weeds and I was like, okay, I have my team of 10, 13 people and we're just marching along. We're trying to hit our number and then do side projects. And I think the scope of impact that you have on the enablement side is massive. And it's, it's pretty cool to see that like you're making these huge moves as an organization. And while it can feel like oh, wow, this is slow relative to what I might have done with a 10-person team of just calling a huddle and saying, we're retraining people on the script. Yeah, the scale at which we accomplish things is pretty impressive. Well, and Brooke, you shared, you know, kind of like pre-episode that the team has grown to almost 100 XDRs at mm -hmm. this point there at Outreach. Can you give us an idea of some of those initiatives and and kind of like what it's like, where what you're learning um, scaling that large of an organization? Yeah, I, I think probably the, the biggest one that we're continuing to hammer on, um, this has been like 
two, three years, like it started with Harry and I were working together. I was just moving up market. So when I had first joined Outreach, we had 35 reps. We were all just based in Seattle, a couple of folks on the East Coast. And you were calling everybody, right? So like there was not really any territory. You had a book of business, but there were potentially thousands of accounts in there across all different countries. If you were bilingual and your AE was bilingual, like even better, you had access to more accounts. And you could be working like a mom and pop shop and then calling Facebook the next day. Um, which again worked for the stage that we were at as a company. But as we started to mature, we just realized like we were putting a ceiling on the type of deal that we were able to sell because we weren't able to give each type of business like the attention that it needed. So we broke into three different segments. Uh, we have SMB, mid-market, which we call corporate, and then enterprise. And in doing so, um, we've been able to do things like drive up our ASP, provide career pathing for our reps, just improve the way that we go to market. And so some initiatives that came through that was like, not just like rewriting the script, but like operationally, how do we make sure that we're giving people the accounts that they need? Do we need to change the sale criteria? Uh, while we're doing that, like, where are we going to decide that the official point of handoff is uh, for from an SDR or an XDR, I should say, to an account executive? So there's been a bunch of different projects uh, that have built into that, but that's probably one of our biggest ones uh, to date. So real quick, you use the word operational maturity. And when you think about kind of addressing, and this is the Enterprise Sales Development Podcast, so it's perfect for our audience. <laughs> How do you measure and know that you're successful? Or what are the, the KPIs that you're looking at for kind of defining enterprise upmarket success? Um, that's a great question. And I think that's also something that I've learned in enablement is of course you need to start with the end in mind um, and not just like, okay, we want our ASP to be at this level and we're, you know, for easy math, we want it to be a hundred. We're currently at 15. Let's just get ourselves to a hundred. But there needs to be incremental steps in process in order to do that. So we're big fans of using maturity modeling at Outreach, specifically um, on the enablement squad since Whitney's joined. And so really calling out, okay, if we, if we know that a five, the level five is where we'd like to be, and um, we're currently at a level one, like what are specific things that we can change? And that could be uh, like for onboarding, uh, another project that we're focused on. If everything is ad hoc, how do we move from ad hoc to operationalize? And just acknowledging that it's not going to be overnight. You're not going to go from a one to a five in a quarter or even a couple quarters. It's probably going to take maybe a couple years. But yeah, I guess ramble answer, but start with the end in mind, pick key metrics and decide like, how are we going to be measuring these consistently? So for moving up market, it's things like account penetration, uh, number of new logos that are at a certain threshold, average sales price across the board, sale conversion rate, like the meetings that we're setting, are they converting? And another metric that we're focused on specifically for moving up market is like the number of, we're big fans of Skip Miller selling above and below the line. So number of ATL prospects that we're able to book within accounts. And we can use outreach to see the meetings that we're booking not only are they in accounts that we've deemed as enterprise, but are they folks with director or VP levels and above, or are they frontline managers and team leads? Because theoretically, higher level folks will then lead to higher ASP and better penetration and all those things. That's so interesting. You mentioned a number of, you got me thinking about a couple different questions. The first one in particular is, you've got all these different metrics you can improve and all these different goals you can hit. How do you prioritize them? Is it, is it data-based? Is it what's the lowest hanging fruit? Is it who raises their hand first? How, how do you say, hey, these are the three goals we're going to have now and we'll get to the other ones later? I think for us, you just we need to assess like on the SDR side, like what's our area of impact? Like an SDR is likely not going to influence that much on like time to close deal, right? Like, cause our sphere of influence is around like, who are we booking meetings with? What's their title and the show rate and sale rate? 
So I think it's just picking like for every department, like overarching as a company, okay, where do we want to be? And then everybody's going to have slightly different metrics, uh, leading and lagging indicators that are relevant to them. So when it comes to like, what are we picking to measure? It's what can we actually control and take full ownership of? And if it's not something that we could take ownership of, but maybe it's influence, it could be like a secondary metric, but we're keeping the, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of rambling now, but like the top things that we're checking off or what can an SDR actually impact? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's where do you have the most major impact and what's directly Mm -hmm. related to what you're doing versus tangential metrics. That makes a lot of sense. You also glossed over something that we get tons of questions about from our, our clients, which are, you talked about going wide. You talked about, we need to get a lot more people. We've all heard the Harvard Business Review stats that go up every year, how many people are involved in a decision in a buying group. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned some specifics. Can you talk a little bit more about the mentality of going wide and and specifically who you like to target more, uh, kind of what you're looking for when you decide which prospects make sense in an account? Yeah. And so I guess like maybe I'll start with how an SDR is compensated here at Outreach. Like we like to keep a really clean model of a a rep will only be comp, like their commission is wholly dependent on whether they achieve a sales accepted lead. And that means that I set up a meeting, the meeting has run and the account executive, like if I set up a meeting for Harry, Harry can say with confidence that, you know, they're not, they may not buy tomorrow, but like I've got a deal here in place. And there's a whole list of sale criteria probably very similar to BANT or whatever anybody else uses for their opportunity criteria. That should be pretty objective. So that's how an SDR gets comped. And within that, there's a section for the role that we want to talk to. And the role, uh, we don't necessarily, we wouldn't comp anybody on setting a meeting with an individual contributor. They need to be somebody who oversees a team and or influences the sales or marketing to say you run operations or otherwise. So you'll get comped on that. But we also know that a deal more people are involved. And if you go up at the top, your deal will likely be larger because there's more reps that roll up to that person and they'll move faster. Like if I go, if Anna Barrett, our CRO, wants to make something happen, it'll happen much faster than if a frontline manager thinks something's interesting and they got to bubble it up and have all these other people join the deal. And now your deal is extended to several months on end. So when we think about like, where do we want our reps to be incentivized we want the volume. Volume is still important because we're a high growth company. So we'll comp them anytime that they book a meeting with somebody who has influence over a sales or marketing team. However, uh, we tend to run like spiffs or other contests, or we'll make sure that people know that there is a focus on booking people at the VP level or above. So we provide additional support in the form of, it could just be incentivizing with, like I mentioned, spiffs. It could be they get access to special ABM play. So like, hey, if you have an account of this size and you're trying to book a meeting, you can introduce our executives to their executives. We also have a lot of other things that we highlight internally. So I think it's one of those, like we want to continue to incentivize the volume, but make sure that everybody knows that there is a focus on pushing people upstream. Well, you guys are also in an interesting place where debatably you're the leading sales engagement platform on the market today, at least as judged by the multi-billion dollar valuation that your company holds and the success and penetration and number of, of clients that you have using outreach every single day. I'm curious to know how being meta, how all of your XDRs using outreach every single day as part of everything that they do plays into everything that you just ran us through. Yeah, I, I think that there's an undeniable connection and we drink our own champagne. So we have a lot of like outreach on outreach programs in place. Like how is our own sales development team using it? And I think that that's part of why I love working here so much is because you're just forced to level up 
your knowledge of the industry because you are expected to know a lot about sales engagement and you're expected to be an expert on how to like build a high functioning, high growth, outbounding sales team. In addition to, you know, our other use cases, CSMs or AEs or what have you. So, so I do think that that is part of why we've been able to grow so quickly is because we have not only a great customer base who gives us feedback all the time and like are super engaged with our product team, but we're using it ourselves. And if, if it doesn't work for our team, we just we can't ship it, right? So we have a, a really tight like product feedback loop. You know, it's funny that that shows because all the people that we used to work with, all the SDRs that, that used to set me meetings, they're all senior managers. They're all killing it because they learned exactly that. They became real experts in the field. Uh, and, and you see it constantly. One of our recent guests actually was Sam Silverman, who I know you're oh, nice. very familiar with. Uh, <laughs> And it's just awesome to see all of those SDRs that that came into the entry level. And we all know how being an SDR can be sometimes. people, uh, A lot of people get into being an SDR so they can eventually not be an SDR. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to actually see that happen, and maybe this is a bit of a plug for outreach as well, to see how quickly those people rose through the ranks and are now considered thought leaders, senior leaders, uh, it, it's definitely validating what you say. Uh, one thing that I was thinking when you were talking about going wide is, do your SDRs then get multiple sales per account? If they get one person at the mid-level, are they also then targeting VPs or how does that all work? That's an excellent question and one that continues to come up for debate. So as of (laughs) now, officially no, right? Like an opportunity or a sales accepted lead is meant to signify a contract. So unless there's multiple contracts in the account, you only get paid on the one. However, especially in the enterprise or strategic space, and um, my teammate Heather Burke would really be the expert on this because she's built out that whole program. But there are instances in which it does make sense to have an SDR continue to work a deal past the point of standard handoff. So normally you'd say, okay, great, SDR, you sent me an awesome meeting, go find some more and I'm going to work this deal. But if your account is so large, you know, it's like a Fortune 500 company, the AE team in Nebraska is definitely not talking to the SDR team in Oregon. And so you do need to have somebody do an outbound motion. So that would be an instance or like regionally, if you've got a UK headquarters who just runs their own shop versus a US. And the other side of that is still in the enterprise and strategic space is customer based. Like say we already have a foothold with a, a super successful department. But again, the company is so large, it's likely that another team is going to have their own operation support. They're going to have their own way of doing things and have a different vendor review process. And so you can't just call and be like, oh, hey, you're our customer. We know each other already. You do have to treat it like an outbound cold notion. So potentially in enterprise, you might expand that way. You might get to the point where people could basically set a different opportunity with a different department at the same organization. It it sounds like that's part of the discussion over there. Yeah, but typically, I mean, again, we try and keep it as clean as possible. Like we just want to incentivize volume of quality deals. And so typically it's it's a no. It's like you get one per opportunity and unless the deal goes closed loss and you reopen it, then you might, but you'd really only have one open at any given time. I'm really curious too, you, you said you assume and you hear the feedback that people are assuming you're the experts in the field. What kinds of professional development programs do you have for your SDRs to get them to that expertise level? Can you share some of the innards, if you will, for our listeners? Yeah, totally. Part of it is just making sure that like from day one in bootcamp, they really understand what the value prop is for each of our personas. So making sure that we drill that with customer use cases. We've actually interviewed all of our own executives. So Steve Ross, who leads our sales development team, Manny Bedina, our CEO, Harish Mahan, who's our SVP of operations, Whitney Seek, my boss um, in enablement, and saying, realistically, how why did you come work at Outreach? And 
how is this different than where you've been before? And I think that's the toughest thing to teach SDRs who are typically very early on in their careers is they don't know anything different. They come in and they're like, I have this awesome tech stack. Why would anybody else do it the other way? And so when they talk to people who are like, oh, I'm fine, I do it in this spreadsheet, uh, it's hard to bridge that gap. So I think one is just giving them exposure to why do other people want to use this? The other one is painting a clear picture of contrast of like, what is it like without a tech stack like this? And, and why might you want to use it? We also just make sure that we're constantly plugged into our community. So encouraging them to get involved with Sales Hacker, um, our customer base on LinkedIn, following our thought leaders like Sam Nelson. Not to mention, we just hired, or not just, I guess a couple months ago, but we brought on Mary Shea from Forrester. Um, and we're constantly trying to make sure that, or trying to pump the sales or the go-to-market team in general with just information around what is going on, uh, what are some trends that we're seeing in the markets so that we can best prepare. And then, of course, we're hiring in third-party trainers, um, like we've uh, done some engagements um, to level up sales prospecting and doing revamps at um, RKO. So I, I guess the short answer is continued education and a lot of reinforcement. So it's not just a once a year, hey, we came to kickoff and we did our methodology training. Like it is constantly top of mind. Well, and you guys actually are in a unique position because you've made significant capital investments in exactly that and thought leadership. And so without glossing over the, the many things that you listed off, I mean, Sales Hacker used to be a leading content site, independent outreach mm-hmm. required that you know, paying an analyst to join staff, having evangelists like literally, you know, getting a paycheck for an organization, not trivial expenditures. So to me, is it a fair thing to say that outreach has really prioritized thought leadership as an organization? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And and I think just the way that we are approaching the market of like, this is not we don't want sales engagement just to be how can I make my SERs make more calls, but getting ahead of like solving outcomes for sales leaders I and mean, this rise of the revenue innovator of like, it, it's not just a point solution. This is not just a widget to make people do things faster, but like, how can we help move businesses along uh, to hit their goals faster? You know, I've, I've got a question about something you mentioned a little bit earlier, and it was a lot of these different enablement kind of initiatives that you have going. How do you interact with team leaders and team managers on the SDR side to make sure that you're getting the best for your people. They're not hearing either conflicting information or they're not hearing the same thing repeated from different leaders. You know, how do you kind of make that a whole smooth relationship with them? The easy answer is just over-communicating, especially since we're remote. I mean, we've got 15 leaders now. They're spread across all kinds of different time zones. Uh, I can't just rely on a drive-by of their desk and being like, hey, Harry, remember that thing I talked to you about? It's happening now. We're good. <laughs> and then just leave it at that. So I have standing meetings with the frontline managers to just talk about things like like specific items, bootcamp, ramp, accelerator programs, metrics that we're driving towards and keeping a really close tab on like, how are we holding ourselves accountable? Because enablement is not just a draw, like a point solution thing where it's like, I did the training, we're done now, but we have to make sure it ties back to the business somehow and making sure that they know that so that when they view enablement, it's not, Brooke, can you come do this training and we'll never talk about it again. I also have, it's super important to keep a really tight alignment with my stakeholder and that would be Steve Ross, who's the head of the SCR team. Great for me because I used to work for him for three years. So we've already got a pretty tight relationship, um, but we talk every other week in addition to whatever I slack or we slack each other about ongoing training. And then the last piece would be just doing quarterly business reviews. And that's a new motion for us here at Outreach. But the enablement team provides a review of like, what did we do last quarter? How did that impact our goals? What metrics did we track? And what do we have on the docket for next quarter? And I think that's important because as a high growth company, it's so easy to get caught up in the 
everything is on fire mentality. And like, I'm just like, I'm just trying to hit my number. Like what else is going on? And it's easy to lose sight of the things that you accomplish. But as we get larger, it is important to acknowledge, okay, what have we done? And even though it might feel like, oh, like recency bias, the thing that we launched two months ago, we're having some hiccups. But if we look at the global scale of influence that we've had, we've actually accomplished some pretty killer things. Um, so yeah, I guess to recap, constant communication with frontline managers um, and, and communicating with your key executive stakeholders uh, and then some kind of quarterly business review that includes business outcomes and metrics. What do you think the biggest learning that you've had, maybe even unobvious, at taking over the, the enablement role? I think because the majority of my career has been in high growth startups and it has been that like, okay, like I'm just frontline manager, I'm in the weeds, things are on fire. Like I'm just trying to mitigate, like I'm just trying to do the thing every day. Yeah. Right. And I think what I've learned being in enablement, and I guess it's just like a pleasant surprise. Like I'm really starting to understand what it means to make strategic decisions and to plan in advance and planning in advance isn't like, what are we doing next month? Like we're starting today. Like we had this on-site meeting, which is why I'm at my boss's sweet rooftop apartment with all of her, uh, all my teammates behind me, so that we can start planning for next year. And that's new, I think, for uh, not unique to outreach, but like as a high growth company, it was just kind of like, okay, we're moving along and a quarter seems very far away, but starting to think, what are we doing next year? How can we plan for that now and laying the groundwork instead of trying to boil the ocean all at once? And I think when you're in high growth companies, everybody's used to wearing multiple hats and that it's necessary, right? But now that we have additional um, headcount, we have people who have specific roles, like we can really focus on making sure that we're mitigating risk ahead of time, we're planning, and then laying that foundation. So it almost sounds like a big part of it is letting go of certain responsibilities and being willing to, to specialize and focus on, on certain specific objectives. Totally. And saying no to things, which is difficult because of the, somebody who previously led the SDR team, I had a laundry list of things where I was like, when I get to enablement, I'm going to knock out X, Y, and Z. And then being able to step back and be like, okay, while those are important, they are not urgent and nor are they aligned to these four big projects that we're doing for the rest of the year. So that's been interesting as well. <laughs> One of the things that I've heard the strategy gurus talk a lot about is that the essence of strategy is oftentimes what you're not doing, what you're willing to say no to, what you mm -hmm. recognize the trade-off as opposed to that which you just say yes to easily and reflexively. Do you find that to be true in, in kind of what you're seeing now? Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. And being willing to like ride through, okay, we've done it for two weeks and it feels a little shaky, like ride it out instead of immediately switching gears and saying, okay, let's abort mission and try something else. I uh, like sticking to the plan and trusting the process. What's also great about that is the ability to have created structure that can support that type of long-term planning, that type of, ex I mean, really what you're describing, at least the way it sounds to me is experimentation. Totally. Yeah. And I think like some thing, like tactical things that we've implemented just in the last couple of quarters with the enablement team at Outreach is the use of maturity models. So like saying, here's where we'd like to be end state. And here's where, you know, five different levels of like, we're making improvement. It's not going to be great overnight. Uh, and with specific items to focus on each quarter, manager reinforcement methodology. So knowing like when we launch something, how are we going to make sure it sticks? Putting together communication plans. That's actually something that's in process now. Like when we alert the field about something, we cannot have just a bunch of emails because people are inundated, they'll ignore it, they'll forget. And so just making sure that we're really tight on how are we moving the ship uh, at scale. 
That's awesome. You know, one of the things that you've, uh, you actually had a recent article about this, but you talked about automation a lot. And uh, I'm wondering your perspective on that. Outreach is already very automated. And there's a lot of tools that outreach uses even beyond just outreach. And yet you seem to always have some new ideas around automation, around basically making the job more efficient or more optimized. Uh, one of the sayings that we used to joke about at Outreach was, I'm lazy and I work really hard to stay that way, uh, <laughs> not doing the the same unnecessary tasks when they don't need yeah. to be done. So where has that gone now? What are the things you're looking at on the automation side in, in 2021? I think like there's never going to be a situation in which a person isn't doing sales or building the relationship because that's why we hire humans. I think when it comes to like data quality and like how we're assigning books of business, we're seeing a lot like we're using our data partners and, and it's not just like, okay, we collected all the stuff and it's sitting in a pile, but like how can we make informed decisions with that? Uh, on the SDR side, yeah, rolling through things like dials and emails faster. So we've leveraged some other tools uh, in addition to outreach to do that. Even when it comes to onboarding as well, like thinking, you know, it used to be that a frontline manager would be in charge of onboarding a rep. We'd do it in three days and it was a lot of information all at once. And then they had to just ignore the rest of their team while they're onboarding this other person. They're thinking about how can we use LMS software uh, to do that? How can we make sure that there's a lot of like just-in-time learning? So using tools like Speckit of, hey, looks like you're about to use a sequence or um, you're looking for something in Confluence. Like here's something to give you a hint instead of just trying to give everybody all the information ahead of time, like helping people learn when they need to. And I guess that's probably top of mind for me because onboarding has been my project for the last quarter. So it's very much uh, recency bias. Yeah, thinking about how can we make sure that when we're training folks, it is not wholly dependent on a person. Like if I am on vacation or get sick or get hit by a bus, like the whole program doesn't die and that people are still supported and can find what they need to without having to slack at here the channel. Uh, where is the script on so-and-so? <laughs> that's got to be even more important now with all the remote work going on. And that's actually mm -hmm. one of the topics we wanted to talk about is when we were there or when I was there, rather, the AE role was often remote. The SDR role was not. Either you were mm -hmm. in Tampa, you were in Seattle. It was, it was pretty defined. Things have changed for everyone over the last 18 months or so. The world <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of turned on its head a little bit. And I hear that you guys are now doing remote SDR work. And so I'm curious both how that's going in general, if it's good, better, or, or good, even, or worse. And then also, uh, what does that look like from an enablement perspective now having people all over the place? Yeah, I think it's funny because if you would have asked, I mean, we all... I'm assuming I'm generalizing, but I think most SDR leaders assume that like it's not a good idea to have people working at home alone because the job is really hard. They're usually inexperienced. It's demoralizing to get crushed on the phone and then be like, well, I guess I'll just complain to my dog and then continue on. Like I have no support system around me. Uh, and then we were all forced to deal with it. Pleasantly surprised by the grit and the tenacity of this team. And we've hit and exceeded our numbers. So we found ways to make it work. But I think that there's a lot of intentional things that we need to do in order to make that happen. One is like intense accountability. So outside of your monthly quota, we have things like we have twice a day call blitzes where you're required to make a certain dial. And we continue to keep our KPIs and uh, hold the line on the quota is quota. We're not, we didn't change it for the pandemic, which was, um, Felt really painful at the time, but it was necessary to keep the business moving. Forcing conversation, whether that's on Zoom, uh, Slack huddles, phone calls, but making sure that you're talking to people as much as you would in the office, which can be difficult to do. I know Zoom happy hours can get very taxing and tiring, but like finding ways if you have a, if you're comfortable meeting in person, you have a group of people in your region, 
making time to do that, setting time aside for just like shooting the breeze with your teammates. I, I think there's transparency too of like, this is why we're not changing the policy because we have some like ambitious goals and here's the things that need to happen in order to do that. So I think that's part of it. And then on the other side is just being empathetic. So we've in instituted things like go to market refresh days, second Tuesday or second Friday of every month, uh, office is closed as a way to force people to take a mental break because now more than ever, the lines are blurred between work and your personal life. Because if you're a parent, you're taking a call or you're dropping your kids off at soccer. Uh, you may be caregiving for somebody. Like it's just not a nine to five anymore. So just making sure that we find opportunities to encourage people to take time off. Uh, and Manny actually wrote a great email about this of like, you need to be bored in order to be creative. So he's like, I'm not logging into things. Like he's taking a vacation with his family. He's offline. He's not going to reply to things. And because your best ideas come when like your brain is clear. And if you're constantly taxed, you're not going to be able to, to function very well. On the flip side of that, and, and you would have a unique purview to this, do you feel like now remote, you alluded to the fact that you guys are expanding into arguably strategic areas like Atlanta, Georgia, or other states are you finding that the ability to now hire remotely enables you to harvest better talent? Yeah, I think it's it's certainly expanded just the talent pool. There's no denying that. There's a lot of folks who are super talented and capable, but they don't want to move to Seattle because the cost of living is super high <laughs> relative to other areas of the country. So I think it's helped from that I perspective. And from a, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you don't like uh, gray weather, or like a rainy 40 degree Christmas, uh, this may not be your jam. So there's that aspect. And there's also like, when you think about expanding talent pool, it just increases diversity as well from a demographic standpoint, from uh, an experience standpoint, there's a lot of tenured SDRs who like this is their career, but they don't want to move. They have a family, they they've built a community where they are. And so just the ability to hire outside of just the Seattle area has been huge for us. And time zones, there's no denying that either. It's helpful to have some people supporting uh, appropriate time zones. Do you find it's easier or harder to hire SDRs now after the whole recent uh, global events, COVID and everything else? It's competitive, man. Oh my gosh. There are a lot of companies who, I mean, the rise of the SDR, like we're definitely seeing that. Like a, More and more companies are seeing the value in having a specific team that drives pipeline and then another team, you know, just separating roles that way. So it's definitely competitive. And I think the great thing is that there's a lot of people who are interested in getting into SDR. It's like the world's best kept secret. You don't need a degree. You don't need any experience. You can train on the job. You can earn a really comfortable living. And it's not just a job. It's it's a career path. So we're seeing a lot of folks from different industries, like a lot of service industry folks who may have left a, a restaurant job or otherwise, teachers, healthcare folks who just said, you know, my other job was not an option because of the pandemic. So it's kind of an interesting situation where there's a lot more people getting into sales development, but there's also a lot of companies who are hiring. So it is pretty competitive, but I think that's great for the industry as a whole. <laughs> and do you see your job as, you know, kind of designing the training programs that then are attracting a wider net, a more diverse, you know, set of, of skills and or mindsets, backgrounds, you know, within your own hiring, that places a lot more pressure on you, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, that's actually part of our charter on the enablement team is just think this is not just, hey, how can we make sure that people are talking the same language from SDR to AE? 
we really view this as it is a, a way to hire great talent because people, super driven folks want to come somewhere where their careers are invested in and where they know like, I'm going to have transferable skills. So even if I leave, we all leave our companies at some point, whenever I leave, I will have things that I can take with me to my next gig. And the other part of that is it is crucial for our own flywheel of success for like a customer standpoint. If I see like the SDRs are usually the first human point of contact that somebody needs. And so it's important for if that experience is great, then it'll roll into an awesome experience with their AE, which will then roll into another positive experience with their CSM. And if we're all again, speaking the same language, using the same methodology and experts in the field, it, it's only good stuff. So it, happier employees, they're retained, our customers are happy, they expand, the whole thing continues. Congrats to you for figuring out kind of that momentum flywheel, because that is a non-obvious insight that really leads to top performance, at least as I've observed. Thank you. <laughs> I wish I could say it was all my idea. <laughs> you know, I, I want to take a few minutes to talk as well about, you know, we've mentioned you have a really strong brand. You've been able to promote not only yourself, but the initiatives that you're doing very well on LinkedIn and other places. I think you're a familiar face probably to a lot of people listening today. One of the things that you co-founded, as I mentioned earlier, was Gals and Sales. And I think most of our listeners know what sales are, but for those who don't, sales accepted sure. leads or the, the meetings that are qualified that SDRs are trying to set. Tell us more about that in general. Sure. Yeah. And thanks <laughs> for the opportunity to pitch Gals and Sales. So Gals and Sales started three years ago. Um, myself, Mandy Manning, who leads recruiting for like she's hired every SDR that we've had on our team for the last several years. And a woman named Carrie Olson, who used to be an SDR here at Outreach and now actually leads a sales development team at Workado. We founded it because at the time we had about 30 reps and only three of them were women, which again was not that unusual for the industry. Um, but we wanted to do better. Uh, and as a female sales leader, it was super important to me to make sure that like, hey, other ladies want to come work here. So we put a bunch of intention behind revamping our job description, making sure we were going outbound, posting a bunch on LinkedIn. And we were able to hire three more women to the team, which effectively doubled our numbers from three to six, which was good, but still kind of pathetic, <laughs> like the ratio term. So we decided that, okay, we should take these people to happy hour and make sure that they feel welcome, but also like what kind of systematic process are we going to put in place so that they are supported, retained, and they feel like, hey, my career is growing as a result of coming to outreach. So it just started with hosting um, quarterly happy hours with some kind of activity and a special guest of an executive level. And oftentimes that was internal folks. So this program right now is just for internal reps at, at outreach. So maybe that was Anna Baird, maybe that was our like CMO or head of product, but women would come in and just share their story. And because it was after hours with, and then when I say activity, it was like, a, like something to futz around with, with your hands, like paint and sip or like terrarium building. And we did all that because of course we wanted our reps to hear somebody else's story, but we also wanted to demystify like what it meant to network and like make it less intimidating. Cause if I'm 22 and I just graduated school and I'm sitting next to my CRO, I'm going to be super nervous to just strike up a conversation. On the other hand, if I'm just eating cheese and crackers and like doing something with the crew, it becomes so much easier to build those relationships. And that is what helps people stay is when they have somebody like a confidant at work, they hear, they see somebody that looks like them in a position of executive leadership and say, if she can do it, so can I. Um, and so we continued doing those and we were successfully able to increase our ratio of women on the team. Uh, I think we're up to about 40% now, uh, which we're shooting for 50-50 long-term. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it took a little hiatus during the pandemic since in-person wasn't really an option, but we've actually have passed the tour 
Torch on to two um, incredible reps on our team, Carson Boyle and Peony C2. And they've just really taken the reins and like revamped the program. So long story short, it's to help hire, retain, and promote women uh, on the sales team. Uh, well, just to tie this back to something else we talked about earlier, would you say that remote work has a greater effect on men or women, or is it pretty balanced? Like, does it make it easier to hire more women now that it's remote or kind of even across the board? That's a good question. And I don't know if I actually have enough data to make a statement on that. I I think we see the numbers that like women are disproportionately affected by uh, this pandemic. Um, Typically they are tasked with caregiving or childcare. So it can make it really difficult to prioritize things like being online for many, many hours a day. But I, I think when we think about like the diversity and like the regional access to talent that we have now, it's just allowed us to recruit from a lot of different areas, uh, whether it's universities, sales development programs, or otherwise it's helped a lot. I was kind of curious just about the program in a, in a virtualized world. How have you morphed and changed any of the gals in sales programming? We found that we can't do things after hours anymore because I don't know about y'all. My eyeballs are on fire and I'm so sick of being on Zoom. Like I'm just, I'm over. <laughs> I can't participate anymore. So uh, we've changed it to during the workday. And so we've, ju- we've just repurposed uh, standing meetings that we have. Like we have a Tuesday hour-long SDR meeting. And once a quarter, uh, Peony and Carson have done a phenomenal job of just bringing in speakers, whether that's an internal AE leaders or customers. So now it's like, not just, okay, obviously it's geared towards the women on the team, but everybody gets to hear and see women in leadership positions. Uh, and then it's like, you know, not at the end of your day when you have other things to do in your life where you're just tired and burnt out. So I think that's been probably the most significant change, just meeting people where they are. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you find it actually is important to have the male part of your population also seeing these things and interacting with that group? Yeah, I think so. And like, certainly when we started, we intentionally kept it really small and cozy because we wanted people to feel like, hey, this is not just a check the box thing. This is actually for me. And like, I have like a small trusted group of peers that I can chat with. But yeah, I think that's totally part of just like increasing diversity on the team, diversity of thought. Yeah. Exposing people regardless of their gender to like, hey, this is a priority and just letting people know. I think that in itself is an important precedent to set of like, we're not just saying that DEI is like one of our core values. We know it is and you just came to this thing where we talked about it and it's just like a normalized aspect of life at outreach yeah well really love picking your brain on all this and we could probably spend hours talking about it (laughs) but i'm going to ask you a question that you've asked me many times in the past i'm going to turn it on you which is if you'd like to take (laughs) two or three minutes and pitch outreach um That's uh, something that I'd love to hear you do this time. But uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, really appreciate all the feedback. And uh, we always do end these with a quick pitch by our people, whether it's outreach or anything else that you'd like to throw out there. I'm sure a lot of our customer base would love to hear it. Sure, sure. I, well, I guess like on a product standpoint, if you're not familiar with outreach, we're a sales engagement platform that's helping reps to automate all the mundane tasks that they have to do every day, whether that's follow up or things that they forget to do. So it's not only focused on that, but it's also just outcomes. Like how can we help you and your business close more deals, keep more customers and grow faster? And then on the hiring front, uh, if you have not seen one of our many, many posts on LinkedIn, uh, we are growing like crazy. Uh, we've got multiple regions open and we've got open recs and basically every single department. And if you want to work somewhere that's high growth, that invests in your career and focuses on what I think are the important things like DE&I, uh, give us a shout on LinkedIn or on our hiring website. <laughs> well, that's well, wonderful. You. What an opportunity for uh, folks that are listening to potentially join your organization. Brooke, this has been a really great opportunity to get to know you better and some of the strategies Likewise. that you're putting in place at, again, a company that is killing it and growing 
super fast. So by all accounts, like the success metrics are on fire. Listeners would be wise to pay attention to and maybe even copy, steal from. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's all all about it. <laughs> so thanks for sharing a lot of those insights with us. We appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me. And if any listeners want to connect on LinkedIn, uh, feel free to reach out. I think I'm the only Brooke Pachesta in the world and certainly one of very few Brooks uh, at Outreach. Uh, so give me a shout. I'd love to connect. <laughs> Can't re- recommend it highly enough. I can tell all the listeners from firsthand experience. I uh, learned a lot from Brooke and my career straight up took off after my time at Outreach. So definitely recommend checking out both the open roles and all the thought leadership going on out there. Thank you so much, Brooke, and uh, have a great week. You too.